This is Gus Ullenbeek, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair and the Whites are back in action away at Sheffield Wednesday this weekend. Joining me to take a look at the game are Morgan Carlton and Matt Stato-Arter. But before that, I caught up with Matt Baldwin to talk about a modern day Fulham legend. Fulham. Hello, my name's Matt Boisclair and I'm here with Matt Baldwin to talk about one of our most successful imports of all time. He scores with his left, he scores with his right. That boy, Clint Dempsey, scores quite a few with his head too. In fact, he's our top Premier League scorer of all time with 50 goals and his overall record reads 231 games and 60 goals. In firstly, a five and a half year spell and then later the lesser remembered three month loan. Baldo, did you expect this American international to have the impact he did when he first joined? Um, no, I didn't. If I'm if I'm being brutally honest, um, when he first joined, this is back in the days of Bebo, is where I first saw him. If anyone is able to remember that, I remember just being part of a a Fulham-based Bebo group, and someone shared a video of him, and I basically thought we were signing the American Ronaldinho because he was full of little flicks and tricks and stepovers and all that sort of stuff. So I wasn't entirely sure about what we were going to get when we signed him. I thought, oh, he's just going to be another like Cristiano Ronaldo in his early days when he was at Man United. Thought, oh, it's going to be another step over pony. I don't think I don't think he's going to last for us. And, you know, based on the first couple of months, he didn't really, didn't really do much in the first couple of months. But boy, from the Liverpool game onwards, which we're going to talk about, boy, did he step up to the mark. And I'm glad he did. Yeah, I remember when he first joined, um, or before he joined, actually. And it was, it was quite widely reported that he was going to join. Um, and I seem to remember him just being stuck in a hotel room and it took quite a while for the transfer to be completed. Um, but it was quite obvious that he was coming to us. There wasn't anybody else that, that was linked. And then, and then he did join. And as you say, it, it was a quiet start. He didn't score until that Liverpool game. And we were we were rubbish that season, weren't we? We were really struggling. And I remember I had a little post-it note up at my desk at work with all the remaining fixtures on it. And just crossing them off one by one as we got beat, thinking, God, we're running out of time here. It's really looking like we're, we're going to struggle to stay up. But then I think were Liverpool in the Champions League final. Um, uh, they were, so they were resting players. So we That's right, them. yeah. And they, they, they stuck out a, um, a, a second string team. We still had Robbie Fowler in it. Um, I remember he missed an absolute sitter. Um, what do you remember of the goal? Um, of the goal, not a lot, if I'm being pretty honest. Ah. Most, most things I've just sort of dumped in a... Um, in a memory of just sheer euphoria that I don't mm. remember quite like what was the build up? I think Liam Rossini got the yeah, assist. I'm not sure. Um, but other than that, just yeah, exactly just sheer emotion and relief that you know, because that that didn't seal our safety at that point. Because I think we needed someone to, I think it was Charlton to drop points on the Monday after for us to be truly safe. So it was a At Sheffield United, wasn't it? Or Sheffield United, I, I forget. Like, so long ago, and we were. No, so it was there. Oh, how can how can you forget? Warlock made such a fuss about the fact that Liverpool put a reserve team out. Yeah, but I don't know. I think they were too far behind us to catch us. I think it was only Charlton oh, that needed a draw. Maybe you're whatever right. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All I remember is that it wasn't like a Danny Murphy moment of right. This is it. 
it was it was a good moment of yes, we have a chance now, but it doesn't quite resonate with me in the same way that Danny Murphy's got. Obviously, obviously it was important in the grand scheme of things, but whenever I think back to like grateful moments, that just doesn't come to my mind straight away because the consequences of it weren't all that important on the day. Definitely well, they were important, that, yeah. but but obviously, like I said, we needed things to go our way as well. It definitely wasn't a Danny Murphy moment, but yeah, I remember it quite differently. I remember thinking that was it for us. And I think we had Middlesbrough away the, the following weekend. And um, we I was on the Fulham flyer that next weekend thinking that was going to be the one. There were a lot of us that went out to Middlesbrough. But we didn't need the result in the end. Um, and we lost 3-0, but nobody really cared. So, all right. So after that, that was just one goal he scored that season. 07-08 was the, the Danny Murphy season, as, as you said. He scored six goals that season. The following season, 08-09, eight goals. And I think that was our highest ever ever finish when we, when we qualified for Europe. But then, 09-10, the Europa League season. And that Juventus goal... Probably, in my opinion, the best goal Fulham have ever scored. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think John Harley might have something to say about that. But yeah, yeah. but context. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about context. Like, are we talking about the overall quality of the goal or like mm. the grand scheme of things? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when most people think of Clint Dempsey, be it you know Fulham fans, probably even to an extent Spurs fans and uh, Seattle Sounders fans, just because of you know the earthquake that it sent around Europe that night, everyone is going to remember when you say Clint Dempsey, they'll think, hang on, he scored that chip against Juventus. So yeah, there's, there's the fair argument that was the greatest goal that was ever scored for us. I, I think, for me, it's the it's the great, greatest goal I've ever seen. It, made, it was technically great. Um, the way it kind of just floated in over the keeper's head, the the context of the point in the, in the game when it was, and the team we were playing against Juventus. Um, and I, I can't think of any anything better because Juventus is probably one of our finest moments, isn't it? Uh, actually beating Juventus in the situation that we were in at the time. You know, we were three-one uh, down from the first leg, then we were one-nil down after a couple of minutes in that game, and then to come back and for that to be the winning goal. I mean, if it had been a penalty that won the game, then you know it's, it would still have been absolutely amazing. But for, to go out on, and, and win on that on that goal was was just something really really special. The likes of which we're possibly not going to see again. Certainly not for a long time. Yeah, I think that, I think that's probably a better way to contact. It's probably the best winning goal the Fulham mm. have ever scored. Yeah, as you say, in the context of it all, like I said, there have been better technically gifted goals. He scored one that I think was better against Stoke a couple of seasons mm. later. So, yeah. but yeah, absolutely. The best winning goal is, I think, probably the best way we can describe it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when I, when I think of Clint Dempsey, I think of a man with great composure in front of goal. He had this knack of turning up in the right place at the right time. And he also had quite a habit of scoring against Chelsea. Do you remember any of those Chelsea goals? Oh, I remember the yes, his late equaliser back in back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, a header that I'm still to this day I'm amazed that it managed to go in because it wasn't as if it was a bullet header. It was it was quite a, it, was, it was quite a floater. If you go if you go back and look at it, try and try and find it somewhere. So how it managed to beat you know a decent Chelsea defence and you know a fine goalkeeper like Petr Cech at the speed mm. it was going at. It's, it's somewhat baffling to me, but. We can't talk about Chelsea without talking about one of his infamous misses, which exactly. was his penalty a couple of seasons later. 2012, which, yeah, Valentine's Day 2012. Uh, 2000, 2011, I think it was. 
because I remember, I remember that was my first year at university and I remember having dogs abuse from a Chelsea fan the next day because of it, which was, which was a bit weird, but yeah, he, he did, he did seem to have a knack of scoring against Chelsea and, you know, we're happy, we're happy that he did that, but you know, just that one more goal would have been, would have been extra well, special. Let's, let's talk about that though, because that, that was a game we never beat Chelsea. We've beaten them once in all the years I've been going um, and that was a real chance because it wasn't just a penalty against Chelsea that he missed. It was an injury time penalty in front of the Hammersmith end. Um, there were other possible suitors to take that penalty. Ida Johnson, pretty good penalty taker himself. He was he was with us at the time and he was sniffing round. Um, I don't know if Danny Murphy was on the pitch at the time. Possibly not. I can't remember. Um, but Dempsey stepped up and he's just put his foot through it and tried to go go for uh, power rather than placement. And then he followed up, didn't he, as well? The ball kind of looped up in the air and he's gone, for, was... a, a, gone for a bicycle kick or something instead of, you've got all the time in the world to bring it down and stick it in. It's the follow-up that always gets me. I can forgive him for missing the penalty. It happens. But yeah. my the, the follow-up, just tap it. Again, as you said, take a chest, control it. But the way he rushed it, because, oh, it's... It's it's something again, something that I'll never never forget. Just the feeling, again, because yeah. the way we celebrated when the penalty was awarded, we, yeah. you know, we felt, hang on, we're going to win this thing. This is so in the bag, yeah. Oh, it's roller co- literal roller coaster of emotions. Just for yeah, but in in the grand scheme, in the grand scheme of things, I feel like I'm going to be going to be saying that a lot tonight. Um, mm. In the grand scheme of things, it was a it was a very mild blemish on what was a, on what was oh, a fantastic yeah. career. Yeah, yeah, most most certainly, yeah. Um, the next thing I was going to bring up was a year later, he was the first American to score a Premier League hat-trick. His three goals against Newcastle, all in the second half, all in the last almost half an hour of the game, to be honest. And we won, we won that game 5-2. Danny Guthrie scored the first goal for Newcastle, Fulham legend. Quite a good goal as well, pinged it into the top corner. But Clint Dempsey in the second half. Do you remember any of those goals? Um, I remember... I. No, I don't remember each and every. I don't remember each and every one of them, but I remember because I had a Newcastle fan at the gate uh, with me at the game that day, and we were sat back in the days when it was the neutral end, which it is still mm. now. But well, it's not anymore because they changed it. Um, in the neutral end, I was sat with my Newcastle supporting best friend, and he was buzzing. He was buzzing at half time, and I was just down and dejected because mm. I because I figured because we were terrible in yeah. that first half. But then for some reason, we just flicked a switch and everything was at its glorious best in the in the second half. Not, not a lot of people have a lot to say, a lot of positive things to say about Martin Yole. But, my, but some of the games we played under him were quite fantastic, in fairness. And that second half, yeah, it, that was that was the season that Clint Dempsey really became Clint Dempsey. And, and it was a sort of sad because if he hadn't put in such great performances... We probably wouldn't have lost him to Spurs at the end of that season. So it's a so it's a bit of so it's a bit of a you know sad when you when you go back to think about it. You know we could have had another couple more decent seasons out of him if he'd just been you know slightly less and then you know, had a couple more decent rather than one great season. Twenty three goals, twenty three goals that season. Twenty three exactly. Yeah. When was the last time a Fulham player got twenty in a season? Before that. Would have been in the Premier League. Yeah, I don't think we've ever done it in the Premier League. I don't know. I don't know. We, uh, Ross McCormack, I'm sure, did it. When, and before that, it probably would have been one of the other Championship guys. Yeah. So yeah, for for to get 20 goals in the season was was quite fantastic. 
Yeah, three of them that day as well. Three, three good goals, or certainly two good goals. The first one, and I, I apologise because I put you on the spot asking you if you remember those goals, and I didn't. I looked them up before we came on. Um, the first one was kind of a, a save from the keeper from a Zamora shot that he, he kind of knocked in with his groin. With his knee, um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the second one, he kind of really good finish, buried it into the bottom corner. And then the third one was a knock-on from Zamora where he ran, ran past the defence, threw on goal, and again, put his foot through it and um, he completed his hat-trick right in the last minute. So, yeah, decent hat-trick. And um, as I say, the first, the first American to ever do it. Don't know if one's, done, one's got one since, to be honest. Can't remember. Can't think of uh, anybody that would have I don't think there's been many decent Americans since him. No, I, I guess not. So. No, I no. guess not. So, he kind of played a bit in midfield, sometimes played on the left, sometimes played up front. Where did you think that his, his most effective position playing for Fulham was? I, I honestly can't. I honestly don't think I could nail it down to one position because he, he was he was brilliant everywhere you played him. I think yeah. he was more of it. We played him wherever we need to out of rather out of necessity rather than any sort of desire. Like the 0809 season, he was predominantly used out on the left wing. Um, 2009-10, he was predominantly a substitute because we had Duff and Davis on the wings. Gear he didn't start. He didn't start the Europa final, did he? No, he didn't. He came off the bench. Yeah. And then 2010-11, uh, he was used mainly as a centre forward. He was used mainly off the striker in 2011. He was bumped all, he was bumped all over the place. So if I had, if I was putting him in an all-time Fulham and Ever, I probably, I probably put him in a number ten role, a sort of second striker behind behind a centre forward, where you can sort of combine his ability to score goals and he could he could score a pass. He, he could score a pass. He could give it. He could play a decent pass as well, as well yeah. as as well as a scoring ability. So I'd, I'd probably say he's more effective and probably better than number ten second striker sort of role. Yeah, well, as we said, those twenty three goals in that eleven uh, twelve season. Well, that that was what that was what ended up securing him his, his move to Spurs on deadline day in two thousand and twelve. But a year later, uh, he signed for Seattle Sounders. But then he was back with us on loan for three months um, on Christmas Eve 2013. Do you remember anything about his return? I, I mean, I remembered he came back, but I can't, I can't even remember anything about it whatsoever, to be honest. Other than the fact I was annoyed that he was forced to wear number 32 because I think Derek hmm. Boateng was wearing 23 at the time. That was the only thing that really bugged me about it. If I'm being honest, I wasn't I wasn't excited about him coming back because I'd, I'd had a discussion with a a Fulham fan a couple of days or so when the rumours were going round that he was coming back. And he basically said, you know, it's never, no, the return is never as good as the first go round. And he listed yeah. a bunch of examples, like when Robbie Fowler went back to Liverpool or when Klinsman went back to Spurs or a couple of others. I can't remember what they were at the time. So I sort of had it in my mind that it wasn't going to be very good. And in the end, it really wasn't. And if we're being honest at the time, was it really what we needed? Yeah, was no. was a Clint Dempsey romantic three months? Where we really we needed a decent defence. We need well, we needed everything, but I think Clint Dempsey coming back for a Sayonara wasn't exactly what we needed at the time. And it was a season we ended up going down, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But I guess I guess the dream was Dempsey's coming back to save the day, and yeah, he, he just didn't. It, it was a real shame. But let, let's not dwell too much on on that negative return. Let's. What what was your favourite Clint Dempsey moment? Well, I, I'm going to go for I'm going to go for something different. I'm not going to go for the cliche Juventus one because okay. I think 
because I think in the grand because I think if you look if you look back at that game, we probably were going to win that game anyway. Even if it had gone to extra time, they were on the ropes that night. So the fact that it just happened to be Clint Dempsey, as great a goal as it was, yeah, it, every, everyone's going to talk about that. So personally, I'm going to go for. We, we talked about it earlier, his double against Chelsea, personally, because that was at the time where Chelsea were the team I hated the most. So for him to be the two-goal hero against them that day, because he scored we he scored to put us 1-0 up. They went, they came back to lead to 2-1. And then again, the last minute, last minute equaliser was was just fantastic. So yeah, it was great. It was great for that. Uh yeah, it, it was that. I'd, I'd probably say that was my favourite, excluding excluding the obvious one. Yeah, no, that's that's completely fair enough. And the one thing you can say about Clint Dempsey, because uh, a, a few of us talked about Zoltan Gira a couple of weeks ago on on one of these, and we kind of said that Zoltan Gira was fantastic in Europe, but never really replicated it in the league. But Clint Dempsey was more the other way around, if anything. Aside from the Juventus goal, he, he was more renowned for his goals um, in the Premier League, hence why you know he's the, the club's all-time Premier League top goal scorer. Exactly. But if you go back and look at that season, he didn't get a chance. You know, the Zamora-Gira partnership was just working so well. Mm. Davis and Duff mm. on either flank, there, there really wasn't anywhere for him to go. Because you weren't dislodge, I don't think he's really a central midfielder, and you weren't dislodging Murphy and Atuhu from the centre as well. So again, it just no victim of circumstance in the grand scheme of things. He may have got yeah. a, he, he may have got a bit of a run out if Andy Johnson, maybe if he wasn't working out and we wanted to stick with two up top, maybe he'd have gotten to go there. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a weird one. It just again just victim circumstance. There's only so much that he he could control. It just happened to be. During one of the you know the greatest one of the greatest seasons in the club's history, that Zoltan Gira and Zamora just happened to click that one year. Yeah, I, I was just looking at um, his record. Actually, he was with us for five and a half se- uh, five and a half seasons. So effectively, he was there for six seasons. Um, and it, the goals that he scored increased each year. So it went one goal, six goals, eight goals, nine goals, and nine goals was the Europa League season. Thirteen, and then twenty-three. So, um, so yeah, that kind of that that um, Europa season was his fourth season, but he kept getting better and better. And had the Europa season been in that final season, then it would have been absolutely impossible to to have left him out. I mean, where would you have fitted him in? Anyway, for for the record, I'm going to pick the Juventus goal for for my uh, for my favourite moment. It's probably one of my favourite Fulham moments of all time. There's no probably about it. Actually, it is one of my favourite Fulham moments of all time. What what a goal and what an occasion and what a team to knock out as well one of our finest hours for sure what about your favorite Clint Dempsey goal um favorite again I'm gonna go I'm gonna go for the one against Stoke where Mm. where he Mm. lobs I've no idea who was who was in the goal at the time I'm gonna speculate and say uh (laughs) yeah Gordon Banks just for the fun of it um yeah whoever it was in the Stoke goal again it it was just a great it was just a great goal to watch um, yeah, I, I can't remember what the score was that day. I we lost, we lost three two. We lost three two. We were three 0 down at half time, and he scored that with five minutes to go. Okay, fair enough. You obviously, you obviously remember that season a lot more than I do. So yeah, I'll go. So, yeah, yeah, I'll go. I'll go with that one personally. Just because I think it was again, it was probably better than the Juventus goal. Again, so I don't, and I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that just because it, just because it gets, it, it's going to be cliche. So, mm. so I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the one against Stoke. 
Yeah, no, what, what a goal that was as well. But yeah, we, we did lose that game. Again, I've, I'm just going to stick with the cliche um, and say that probably one of the goals that I, I don't remember cheering a goal more than that goal, to be honest. And I said to the guy, I, I um, a, a different season ticket seat to the one that I have now. And I said to the guy that I sat next to when we were 3-1 up, it looked like we were in the ascendancy. I just said, we're going to win this, aren't we? And then that happened. And oh my God, amazing stuff. All right. Um, well, that's Clint Dempsey. Why don't you give his career at Fulham uh, a mark out of 10? A mark out of 10. As always, show your workings. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say an eight. Um, Yeah. As you sort of talked about there, he was gradually getting better and better and better. Um, Again, just the mo- the fact that he was so versatile, we could play him anywhere. That's bon- that's bonus points for me because I like I like utility players. Uh, some of the moments he gave us, you know, not just the Juventus one, but you know, and, but other goals, other goals before that. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to knock him down. As much as I wasn't annoyed at the time, I don't know why, but I've gone angrier about it now. Sort of in a reverse to Jimmy Bullard. I was angry then, but I've come round to it a lot more now. I'm just disappointed with the way that he left and the way he sort of went and this way he sort of went about it. It's, it left a bit of a sour. T- Again, if it had just been a straight Spurs come in for a bid, uh, you know, Spurs, I think they were talking about Liverpool were in for him as well around that time. Um, you know, Spurs or Liverpool have bid for him. You know, a week later he goes. Then I, I probably I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you. When um, was then not, or if I, if I imagine this? Did Liverpool not announce that they'd signed him? Yeah, sort of. I think they had a space reserved on their squad list. And it said like Clint Dempsey number, whatever, not 23, because that would have been Carragher, 32 or whatever. Yeah. They had the player profile set up for him. I don't know something happened. This... Yeah, it no, was something, something happened. They, they made an announcement and then had to retract it. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I do know where yeah. you're going on about it. But yeah, the way he sort of I don't know if went on strike is the correct way to is the quite correct way to put it. But he sort of uh, refused to train, said, you know, I'm going to force through this move to Spurs. So yeah, it, it's left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And again, that probably dampened it somewhat um, his return because I felt you know the way that he left and now the way he's coming back. No, not not the ideal way. So I'm gonna I'm, so I'm gonna knock a couple of points off of that. But what he did during his time at Fulham, I don't think that's I don't think anyone can sort of argue or say he was a bad player or he, he had his bad moments. So so I'm gonna give him an eight personally. Yeah, fair enough. Um I think I think I'm gonna give him a nine and Danny will be cross with me, who you can't give nines and tens to everyone. Um but I he's one of my favourites of all time. He'd probably probably be in my one one of my picks for the, the my favourite squad of all time so um, I'm, I'm going to give him a nine for the Europa goal and just for his consistency really I, I thought it was really consistent he'd always pop up with goals he'd always score against the big clubs not just against the little clubs um, he was well disciplined um, and yeah just one of my all-time favourites so good stuff all right well thanks for joining me Baldo and we'll hand it back over to the guys for the main show all right, so on to Sheffield Wednesday then, guys. The the obvious thing to pick up on here is our latest signing, Michael Hector, was Sheffield Wednesday's player of the season last season, following a lone spell from Chelsea. It's a shame he won't be available for this one, isn't it, Stato? Yeah, it's a, it's a big shame, really. Um, it's a shame we can't play till January, to be honest. Um, 
saying that, I think Ream and Mawson have been they're forming quite a good partnership, I think, particularly in the championship. The big question being there is that Ream's 33 now. So when we get to play midweek games more regularly, um, you know, he might get tired a bit and I'm not really keen on Le Marchand or Doy coming in to replace him in that regards. Um, like you said, Hector got player of the season at Sheffield Wednesday, so he's quite highly regarded. And yeah, it's just a shame he can't play, but hey, roll on January. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get down to it then. Morgs, does Betts start this game? We spoke about it on the show earlier in the week and said that we think he'll probably get dropped, but what do you think? Is he is he going to play? I think he will. I think um, rather than sort of make him feel even worse about his mistake, I think Parker will show a bit of confidence in him and give him you know, another go. Uh, if he makes another one, then I think he'll be out. Uh, but I think at this point, I think Betts is still Parker's number one. And until he really drops, the, uh, you know, another clanger, I think he will continue to play. Stato, for you, Betts in or I know we said Betts in or Betts out last week. But do you think realistically he's going to be in the side this weekend? Um, he'll be in the side. It's whether he's on the bench or in the starting eleven. Um I would like to see Roduck play, as would a lot of other people, I would imagine. Um, again, it just comes down to whether Parker will make that change or not. Um, I think if he does, it's a big statement from Parker saying, you know, you've made mistakes, bet you need to be dropped. But then, you know, I can understand why he wouldn't want to do that. You know, it would knock his confidence massively if he got dropped. Um, and he's, you know, his confidence isn't already great. But yeah, personally, I would like to see Roduck play and give him a chance. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is coming from Moncton FC's number one, <laughs> who has been goalkeeper for a side who've lost every game this season. So he knows hey, what hey, he's hey. talking about. I kept eight clean <laughs> sheets last year. Eight. Eight. Well, fair play. Yeah. Good on you, mate. Good on you. <laughs> All right. So the Whites midfield then, Morgs. Arta or Reed or Arta and Reed? I would be going for this particular game, I'd be going with Arta and Reed. Um, I think I'd go with Arta Reed and Kearney and have a slightly more solid central three. Um, I think Sheffield Wednesday, they've got the, they're still in the new manager bounce. Um, Gary Monk won his first game. Um, and I think they will be looking for, you know, another three points. They're at home. It's his first home game. And I think we really need to, be very careful in this one. And I think we can still play our possession football, but we need to make sure that our midfield is there to uh, counter any um, of uh, Wednesday's attacking threats. So I'd go with Reed and Arta and then Kearney and then have Reed back on the bench. And for you, Stasso, do you concur with that? Um, I would quite like to see Steph Joe start again um, with Reed, to be honest. I'd like to see Reed, Steph Joe, and Kearney in the middle. I'm not quite sure what Steph Joe's done to be dropped, to be honest. He hasn't particularly had any bad games. And, you know, I quite he I quite liked seeing him link up the defence um, to the attack by him running box to box. So I wouldn't mind seeing him and Reed start together. And also because, you know, that's probably the only combination we haven't had yet. So, you know, might as well see what that one, how that those midfield three works out for us. Fair enough. Yeah, just, just try a combination of everything until we find <laughs> something that works. I like your style, yeah. 
Okay, as you mentioned, Gary Monk has, has recently taken over at Sheffield Wednesday and he started with a, an away win at Huddersfield on Sunday. How do you rate Gary Monk as a manager? The, the last time we faced him, his Birmingham side stopped us from getting automatic promotion. So I feel like we, we need to get one over on him, really. What do you think, Morgs? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's uh, it's always nice to get one over on a uh, new manager to sort of bring them back down to earth. Um, I think you know, he's one of these managers that everyone has sort of said, oh, he's the he's the next big English thing. Uh, but he's not really done it wherever he's been. I think he's played some decent football here, there. Uh, Just a bit of a journeyman now, isn't he? A bit of a he journeyman now, manager. I think, unfortunately, I think that's kind of the reputation he's getting himself. And I think maybe on a couple of occasions he's been a bit unlucky maybe, but... Uh, the reality is that he hasn't stayed at the club for particularly long yet. Um, I don't think he's, you know, he hasn't got promotion yet. Um, oh, actually, no, did he get promotion with Swansea? I can't remember. Um, but I think he was in the Premier League with Swansea so. at the time. Oh, okay. But yeah, he's, um, yeah, he hasn't really done it. And I think Sheffield Wednesday is a good club for him to go to. I think, you know, despite all his faults as a as a manager, Steve Bruce did a fairly good job with them and put them in a fairly decent position. Um, but I think he needs to, he needs to do something with them. And I think, uh, if he drops the ball on this one, I think, uh, you know, there aren't going to be many sort of decent clubs sort of clamoring for his, uh, for his services for a while. He seems to keep getting a bloody job, doesn't he? Where's he been? Birmingham, Middlesbrough, Swansea, probably some other clubs that I can't think of off the top of my head as well. Yeah. He's one of these guys who just still keeps getting a, getting a, a reasonably decent opportunity. Yeah, he's, he's he's almost like the second generation of, you know, the Allardyce type managers who just go from job to job. I mean, I've just taken a look. He's, he's still actually only 40 years old, which is relatively young for a manager, to be fair. And the fact that he's managed five clubs in that time is, you know, is quite impressive. And, you know, the clubs he was at, I think when he was at Swansea, I think he got quite harshly sacked. I can't quite remember if that was true or not. Uh, I think they were playing great football. Um, he went to Leeds, who have dodgy owners, so you can't really blame him for getting sacked there. Uh, Middlesbrough didn't quite work out for him either. And Birmingham, again, they had dodgy managers, uh, dodgy owners, sorry. Um, I think you know he got sacked over the summer, and I think all the Birmingham fans are fuming about it. So, yeah, he's been a bit of a journeyman, but I think you know he's just kind of been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think Sheffield Wednesday is a good place for him to kind of start fresh and to try and you know, build back a reputation almost. But do, do, I mean, if a manager performs, I mean, if he gets the results, then dodgy owners don't really matter. Um, I think, you know, you've got to be looking at the fact that he hasn't got the results. And whilst the, you know, some of these owners, these teams may be a little cutthroat, um, if they, you know, if they think the team are performing, they'll keep them. And, you know, clearly none of these owners thought he did a particularly good job. So maybe, you know, if he was getting the results, then he would have been in a job longer than a year, which he doesn't seem to have done yet. Well, I think Middlesbrough aside, um, he was actually performing relatively well at his club. So Birmingham last year, he, you know, I think they narrowly missed out on the playoffs, so they were up there. No, they, they, think, they, oh no, that was the, that was the year before they almost got relegated, wasn't it? So. Yeah, it was the year before. That, that was yeah. I think they sacked Lee Clark, and then it all went wrong for them. Um, <laughs> But you know, like they, they were kind of on the on the up of them, and then I think the fans were kind of a bit optimistic about what would happen this year, and then they got rid of him, and you know that was a bit questionable from the owners' perspective. And likewise with Leeds, I don't even know how many how many managers they've been through over the last few years. I think you know this is the first time in ages that 
they've had a manager in Bielsa who's stuck around for more than one season. So I think I think with Leeds, it sort of just helps that the manager is now almost as mental as the owner. <laughs> so I think it's sort of like they've sort of worked quite well together. If you had a sort of a normal human being in charge of them, he would have lasted about 30 seconds before they got him out the door. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say, if there are any of these, uh, and I quote, dodgy owners listening, the term dodgy owners is a phrase coined by Moncton FC's number one, Matt Gatto Arsa, <laughs> and not by any other set at Fulham Focus, should you wish to sue us. Okay, I'm in Margate. Come and find me. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to look at some of your lovely stats now, Stato, that you sent over to me. So Mm -hmm. we have met Sheffield Wednesday 75 times in the past. We've won 27 with Sheffield Wednesday winning 32 of those games. Um, We've won only two of our last eight meetings uh, against Sheffield Wednesday with one goal, just one goal separating the teams in, in all of these games. The last time we played at Hillsborough was nearly nearly a couple of years ago now. We won 1-0. Mitro scored in the 78th minute, and that was match number 19 of the 23-game unbeaten run. Looking at former players that we share with Sheffield Wednesday, Joshua Onoma, our uh, recent debutante, um, played for Sheffield Wednesday. Erby Emmanuel, uh, Emanuelson, is that his name? Is that how you say his Legend. name? Yeah, Erby yeah. Emanuelson. He's brilliant. I loved him. Yeah, yeah. 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 wasn't yeah, good, but I liked him. Was um, he a left back? Was he a left mid? Was he a centre mid? Who knows? He played yeah. anywhere. <laughs> what a player. Uh, Michael Turner, Mark Crossley. I didn't know Mark Crossley played for Sheffield Wednesday. And hey, of yeah, course, he went out on loan to them when he was with us. Yeah. Oh, okay. And of course, the legend that is Shefki Kuki. Oh, um, the the goal machine. The go- How many goals did he score for us again? Two. Uh, try yeah, Try again. <laughs> Try lower, lower, lower than a two. It was he got he never. I thought he got one. I thought didn't he get one? Well, you you try you find it on YouTube and send it to me later, mate. But you'll be looking (laughs) a while. (laughs) Um, Sheffield Wednesday are currently in ninth position. They've played seven. They've won four. They've drawn none and they've lost three. They've scored ten and conceded six goals. So, yeah, a a better record than ours, frankly. They've won four. So. Um, before the win at Huddersfield, they'd lost two in a row. So uh, Gary Monk coming in has um, has changed their fortunes. Poor old Huddersfield, though. They're, they're having a shocking time. Steve Bruce took over on the 1st of February last season, and they lost only twice during his time at the club. Famously, he agreed to take over at Sheffield Wednesday a little bit earlier than that, but didn't want to go uh, until the 1st of February because he was out watching the cricket. That was right, wasn't it? Fair enough. Yeah, I think I think I think in his defence though is like his dad had died, so he's kind of just wanted a bit of time away from football. All right, keep it light, bloody hell! Just just saying, just saying. saying. (laughs) I was about to take the piss out of somebody that was earning an absolute fortune, you know, turning up when he wanted to. But all right, you've killed me on that one. No worries. Um, (laughs) Last season at home, Sheffield Wednesday's record was. 10 wins out of 23, so not that bad. They kept eight clean sheets as well. Uh, Stephen Fletcher was their top scorer. He scored 11 last season, but he's got three and six already this season. Barry Bannon, he had 11 assists last season, which was the fifth highest in the league. And Adam Reach had seven assists, and he has an eye for an absolute wonder goal as well. I remember seeing some of his work on um, on the, the um, EFL show on Quest last season as well. He, he can't half score them, so... Stato, do you want to talk us through the signings they've made this summer? 
Yeah, so they made a few key signings. And interestingly enough, um, this is when Bruce was in charge. So you'd imagine that Bruce was kind of building his team. Um, and obviously now they've got Gabby Monk come in. So, you know, these players may, may not fit in as originally planned, but hey, they've got them anyway. So um, first one is the midfielder Massimo Luongo, who was signed from our rivals QPR, um, Australian international. I think I remember that he didn't play like the last two games for QPR at the end of the 2018 season because he wanted to be fit for the World Cup, but then he never played for Australia at all during the World Cup, which is a bit funny. During his time at QPR, he scored uh, 10 goals over three seasons in the championship, contributed 11 assists. So he's a bit of a creative playmaker, not as good as other ones like Kearney, to be honest. He hasn't got nearly as good a record as Kearney has, but then he was in quite a bad QPR team. Other signings they made, they've signed Kadeem Harris from Cardiff. Um, prior to last year, he was playing quite a bit for Cardiff. Um, well, actually, he played a lot in the 2016-17 season. And then you know, the year after that, when Cardiff went up, he only played three times. So I don't know if he fell out with Warnock or something. Um, but, then he, <laughs> but then he played 13 times in the Premier League um, when they went down last year. So I think you know it's a good signing with a lot of championship experience there. They've signed two new centre-backs, um, obviously because they couldn't get Michael Hector back. I remember on deadline day, instead of going for Hector, they signed uh, centre-back David Bates. And I, I, I've That's heard of him. Because, uh, yeah, unfortunate surname for him. Um, <laughs> Child. Childlike. <laughs> um, but I've actually heard of him before because uh, I remember he, he, the son from Hamburg and Hamburg are currently in the second division of German um, football. And I just remember that they signed a big Scottish centre-back, which is a bit weird and out of place. And I remember I read an article uh, last year that he was actually quite a fan favourite in Hamburg. He was just this big Scottish lad who's playing for Hamburg. So I think he's quite highly rated. He's 22, so still relatively young. And I feel he could slot in quite well in the Championship. Uh, the other centre-back they've signed is another German player from the German second division called Julian Borner. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know much about him other than the stats I've got here where he averages things like six clearances per game um, and whatnot. But he has played all games for Sheffield Wednesday so far this year. And I think a standout signing for them is Jacob Murphy. I don't know if um, anyone remembers, but he is a twin brother of of Josh Murphy for Cardiff. Um, The Murphy twins came from Norwich. Uh, One went to Newcastle, one went to Cardiff. Uh, Jacob went to Newcastle. He th- I think he started off quite well for Newcastle. He had quite the impact, but it hasn't quite worked out for him. I guess if you're in a club like Newcastle, which has weird managers and weird owners, it's always going to be hard to settle in. So I think it's quite a savvy signing for the Championship, particularly um, because he was in the Championship at, towards the second half of last year for West Brom, um, where he scored two goals and assisted one. Um, before that, his last championship experience was with Norwich back in 16-17 and he scored nine goals and assisted six, which for a winger is quite a good record. So I think um, with him, Adam Reach and Stephen Fletcher in attack, um, we may kind of a bit of pressure from them. Thanks, Stas. That's, uh, that's really good input. I'm, I'm a bit worried now after all that. I've, I've felt <laughs> like we were going to have a, have a big win this weekend, but now after, after all that, I'm not so sure. With that in mind, Morgs, what, what do you reckon is going to happen this weekend? What's your score prediction? Uh, I think it's going to be, uh, I don't know, I think it's going to be a pretty open game. I think, um, obviously, the players will be 
uh, high on confidence after the game against Huddersfield. The, I think I predicted last week that the West Brom game was going to be pretty tight. It was going to be 1-0 to Fulham. And if it hadn't been for uh, Betts' cock-up, it would have been. Um, so this I'm actually going to go... I'm going to go for two all on this one. I think I think it's going to. Be, I think there will be goals in it, and you know, I think if we get a, get a point out of it, I will be relatively happy depending on how we play. And how many of those goals will be a Bettinelli mistake? I'm going to be optimistic and just say one. <laughs> <laughs> He's only going to make one mistake that leads to a goal. Right, that's, that's no, really no, 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 no mistakes. It's going to be, it's going to be a solid performance from him. Uh, he's going to uh, make a last-minute wonder save to keep it to all. Superb. All right, and Stato, what do you think? Um, I think we really need a win now because we haven't actually won in three games. I don't think we lost to Nottingham Forest and we've had two draws. Would you win? But this is going to be Gary Monk's first game uh, at home for him. And I think Sheffield Wednesday will still have the new manager bounce. Um, but saying that, I like to think we're going to kind of rain on his parade a bit. And I think we're going to pull through with a 1-0 win. And I think Rodak's going to play. And I think he's going to have an absolute blinder, which will lead us, which will lead us full and fast. As I say, yes, Rodak is our new number one. That's my prediction. Okay, yeah, bold words, very bold. Okay, I think um, I think we're going to win also, but I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. I don't think Bessinelli will make any mistakes, but I think he'll play. I think I think we'll win two one. We've, we've got to win this one, haven't we? We've got to get the season back on track somehow. We're in bloody mid table mm-hmm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. Need to get ourselves back in amongst it. So let's go two one. Right. Okay. I think that's just about everything. So uh, thanks to Morgs and Stasso for joining me and to you guys for listening at home. We'll be back on Monday morning with all the fallout from what we hope will be a fantastic White's performance in Yorkshire. Safe travels to all of you who are making the journey north and bring the points home with you, please. See you soon. Cheers.